Welcome to Life in the Making, a podcast that explores the journey of friendship and self-discovery. We're your hosts, Kia and Therese. Welcome everyone to Life in the Making. It's your co-host Therese and Kia. In our last episode, we talked about Valentine's Day and what it means to us, and we also dived into our past relationships and thoughts on romance and love. But we felt that it was important to talk about another type of love. And you guessed it, maybe, (laughs) self-love. I know it's a phrase that sounds cliche, but I fully believe that the relationship with ourselves is one of the most important to recognize and nurture and value, because how can you love someone if you don't know how to completely love yourself? Is a question I think about a lot, hence why I'm not in a relationship. And speaking of not being in a relationship, let's talk about what it's like to be single. I know it looks different for so many people, as well as the reasons for remaining single, but Kia, I know you are currently in a relationship, but before then, how did you feel about being single? Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that I've thought about a lot, especially since my relationship is pretty new we've only been dating for four months so getting used to being in a relationship is kind of difficult at first so what I mean by that is when I was single it was really easy to just consider my needs and what I wanted so I'm a very spontaneous and in the moment kind of person so it was really easy to make quick decisions that only benefited me However, now that I'm more in a committed relationship, sometimes I have to remember to ask for my significant other's opinion too. I'm not asking for permission, but I'm asking for his thoughts to be considerate of how my actions can impact him too. So for example, getting a meal with a guy friend. I used to easily just be able to check my calendar and say yes immediately, but now I have to let my significant other know who my guy friend is, our history, and ask whether or not he has any plans for us already. Once again, I'm not asking for permission. I'm just giving him reassurance that he's just my guy friend and communicating with him what my plans are. So that being said, I think when I was single, I think it was really easy to make decisions and make goals that was just surrounded by me and what I wanted. Since especially going to college, it was just like my decision. And especially at college, right? I think my family was further away and it was just like all about me. And so carrying that mentality with me moving forward, I think I didn't really envision being in a committed relationship in a sense so soon. Not saying that there's a timeline for it, but I think I just had to kind of like change a little bit about my trajectory and about who I'm considering that would be a part of my life along the way. So what about you, Therese? I know you're not in a relationship right now, but perhaps like your relationships before, maybe during college, how were you like single versus in a relationship? And now, right? Now that you're single and independent, yes, we love it. (laughs) How are you, um, in a sense, uh, seeing the difference? When it comes to being single, I've enjoyed that freedom to be able to not have to worry about someone else's thoughts or, you know, am I not like responding to them on time? And I know I usually not a good responder to many of my friends, but particularly when when it comes to like texting someone, especially like the first few stages of a relationship, I always felt like I needed to be on it. I mean, obviously not like responding right away because you have to play the game, but also just having to think about like, okay, did I respond to this person at the end of the day? Um, am I Am I saying something or not doing anything that is like something that I'm not necessarily aware, but that is hurting them or affecting them significantly. When I think about a particular time during my single life in college, which was majority, majority of my time, 
I remember going on a date with this guy and honestly we were in the same class together we had we had weight training and he had invited me to go out for like a meal and I was like okay cool but then I found out that that same day he wanted to grab a meal was also the same day as this event where I had a lot of friends from this Filipino organization uh, back in Claremont called Kasama I had some friends there that were performing and I was like okay I definitely want to support them you know I'm like super excited for this this is also my first time attending this event but I had to bring this guy along because I had already rescheduled multiple times for this day to have a meal and I was like I think it'd be nice to maybe go for a little bit and then afterwards you can you know grab dinner And when we went over there, he just didn't seem very enthusiastic, wasn't interested, but I was like all hyped. I wanted to sit next to my friends, but then I also had to find another, I had to find two seats as opposed to one seat. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really, really tricky. So anyways, I think it was like 10 minutes in and he he like whispered into my ear and he was like, so when do you want to go? And I was like, my friends haven't even performed yet. I was really annoyed because he kept asking and just felt really frustrated. And I could tell from his body language and he would like make this really deep sigh. And I was just like, can't focus and provide my whole attention and support if I know I have a date with me who's just not interested at all. So fortunately, I got to see my friends perform for like five minutes and then we had to dip. And that whole time I just was so bitter. I was so petty. I was like, this is why I am not in a relationship. Honestly, not the not the main reason why, but one of the reasons why I feel like I've just enjoyed knowing that I don't always have to think about another person and in some way that is a privilege to not have to worry or about specific responsibilities with a partner is a luxury that I've been enjoying and have enjoyed in college up until last semester of senior year when I got into relationship and during that time I did feel and you, you already know this Kia like and you've witnessed it and experienced it but I was pulling myself away from so many of my other friends and started dedicating more time to this person. And then I kept having to think about what did they think about these people in my life? What did they think about me moving to the city, you know? And then I had to consciously think about, okay, now my actions affect another person and our relationship. And it begs the question of, is this relationship worth it? You know? And so just, I thought about so many things. Oh, and also being in a long distance relationship at the time during the summer was really tough because I had to go to bed at a certain time. Like I had to go to bed later than I normally would because then he would be up later because Hawaii is three hours in advance from California. And it was, it was just tough. So I think that being single really allowed me not only to have more time for myself, but to really focus on myself. And I know that sounds really cliche, but I've been able to do a lot of self-care journaling, trying to explore my own interests, getting to do things at my own time, as opposed to having to pencil in someone else's schedule in my calendar every day. No, that definitely makes sense. And I think we both can agree that accommodating for someone else when you're not used to it is so difficult. But especially when your partner or the person that you're going on a date with is not on board for what you're interested in. Like, I'm so glad that the person you went on a date with was so rude because it allows you to cancel him before it even gets further. Like, no thanks. So I think it's just, it's it's a good red flag that you, in a sense, saw first before, like, you guys actually went on a date or, like, even pursue something further. Yeah, and also that dinner was not even a good, it, it, it wasn't even a good conversation. And I was just like, wow, I wasted my time with this person. 
but uh, I don't even remember his name. So I guess he's not even that, um, that memorable, except for that particular moment. But being in a relationship, you do have to consider so many different factors. And I'm curious for you, what are your thoughts on if there's someone who isn't necessarily being accommodating in the first place? Is that a huge red flag to be like, okay, you know what, I'm not going to go on a date with you. And I know like, that is how I felt about this particular person. But do we give chances to people? Is there some extent I don't know if you've experienced dates or relationships in the past where the first few impressions didn't seem to be as accommodating as one would like for me like my significant other or the person that I'm going on a date with has to be accommodating like what I said before I'm a very spontaneous and in the moment kind of person so if you're not going to be accommodating flexible and go with the flow then I don't think I want to be a part of what this is so I think that's also a big red flag for me because in the future, if, you know, if something unexpected comes up and you want to, you know, be annoying about it, right, be sighing every once in a while, that irritates me and that shows me that you don't care or love for me enough to support me wanting to see my friends or in a sense, I don't know, like going to an event. So I think for me, that's a big red flag. And, you know, this kind of like reminds me of the episode that we had before talking about what do we see in traits and you said patience, right? And so I think being accommodating is a part of having patience. And I know, (laughs) I know, as I said in the, in our earlier episode, I don't have patience, but that's what I look for in a partner. So I'm really glad that in a sense, my significant other is very patient So for example, I'm a very busy person. I like to, you know, put a lot of stuff on my plate. And I really appreciate that he's very accommodating and very patient. So for example, this podcast in itself, it is very time consuming. Teresa, I know you can agree with me in the sense of we record on Sundays, you know. So yeah, you guys, you guys get our weekends. So it's we record Sundays and we also work on the weekdays as well. And so um, on the weekends, weekends, it's supposed to be in sense time for my partner and I to hang out, but he's always so accommodating to be able to uh, let me have Sundays or some parts of Sundays to court it and spend time with Therese and he always knows he's like yeah like Kia like you say that it's going to be one or two hours but you're lying it's going to take three or four hours and he's so accommodating and flexible with what my passions and what my interests are so what about you Therese how do you feel about someone who isn't accommodating or patient Mm, Yeah, I think that for me, that patience, which is the trait that I mentioned in the previous episode, and I'm glad that you brought that up, is incredibly important for me. And I'm someone who likes to give second chances. You know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, maybe this person, you know, it's just the first date. I think that when it comes to me already addressing like, this is why it's important after having a conversation about it. And seeming that this person continues to not really understand me, you know, why I care so much about these people and why I want to attend this event and why I want to take up this time to support them, it makes me feel like maybe they will not be doing that. Like maybe they're not going to be at all supportive in the in the future moving forward. I think that when it comes to being accommodating, it's a value I, I really appreciate, especially because... For me, like back home, I feel like I have a lot of friends and a lot of family members who are very chill in the sense that they're, you know, they're always understanding of me and they're always patient. And that's why I feel like I want to be the same for others. But if I'm doing that for you and I am willing to compromise, you know, or accommodate for you and you're not willing to do the same in this particular moment, then that just goes to show 
how unfair this person is, but also how selfish it can seem. And the whole self-interest and just always wanting things to be convenient for me is a trait that I absolutely dislike. But I also wanted to touch upon what you were saying before when you mentioned that you didn't realize you're going to be in a relationship this soon. And quite frankly, I also didn't know. (laughs) I also didn't realize. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Because I remember you were still back in California and I just admired so much how you were so content with being single. And like, I had questioned myself. I was like, should I be happy being single? Like, I I just always assumed that one would always want to be in a relationship. I I hadn't fully understood the reasons for why people would want to remain single. And that was until after uh, a breakup, the first few months after I graduated, moving into a new city and realizing that there were a lot of things I wanted to reflect on myself, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't be in a relationship with someone while I was trying to figure out a a lot about myself. Not to say that being in a relationship, you have to fully recognize that. You have to fully know yourself. But personally, for me, I just felt like I needed all the time to focus on on myself and really understand how I want to prioritize certain qualities or traits or people in my life. But I'm glad that you have a, a great partner and knowing that your significant other is someone who is very understanding is is important and I'm glad that you have that. No worries. Expect the unexpected. I think dating my significant other when I least expected it taught me that there isn't a good time to ever date, right? Like, oh, like I'm going to find a partner when I'm like settled with my job or my career or um, after saving this much money. I think it really taught me that if I want something or someone, I will make the time and effort for them. And I think this is a really good transition to, in a sense, talking about my own mental health. So it was just about a year ago, actually, when Kobe passed away, I was a first year teacher. And I was also in my master's program. And it was a really difficult time for me because I was alone. And I recognized that I needed community. And there was just a, a lot of toxic people in my life who I allowed because I was just lonely, right. And so in a sense, when I kind of met my significant other, of course, we we're in the pandemic. And I was still in the process of therapy and unpacking who I was and my trauma. And so in a sense, that was kind of like the worst time ever, right? Because it's like, I'm trying to build myself. However, it seems like I really like this person and I want to include him in this process. And so I think I was able to see and understand and trust, right, that my significant other is going to be an addition to my life and not a subtraction and not going to be someone who's going to deteriorate more of my mental health and who I am. So I think once again, it was very unexpected, but I'm just really glad that in a sense, my partner is really supportive and patient with my process of finding who I am and unpacking my trauma and my own insecurities. Yeah, and... You know, during the same time around the passing of of Kobe, I also was experiencing a lot of thoughts that were very toxic, um, just in regards to my self-esteem, to my mental health. And I remember you encouraged me to, you know, just to, to go to therapy and to try it out. And I know, no, I feel like, I don't know if I'll ever find a therapist like Sean, but um you know, our therapist, like Sean, but I I do feel, though, that 
it's really important to have someone in your life, whether that's a significant other or a friend who is also willing to be there on the journey with you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic partner to serve that role or that place in your life apart from a therapist. But I do, I do believe that going on this mental health journey and recognizing that you're not alone is essential to feeling like you can overcome this. And this also, you know, just talking about my own mental health journey post-grad, it was really difficult because after this breakup, I had a lot of self-esteem issues. And it it's interesting because I never felt that way even when I was in college. You know, when I was single, I didn't even think about my flaws. I didn't really dwell on those types of things. I had a lot of friends that I kept holding on to in my life to serve that missing space that I felt like, you know, this is how it feels like to to not be alone. And um, it wasn't only until leaving a relationship that I questioned a lot of things about myself. I've only been in a relationship twice, but even then they're not long-term. They weren't that serious. But why do certain people, people who leave, affect the way that we perceive ourselves? Like, why do we continue to focus on the people who don't love us as opposed to the people who do? And when I started to recognize that my friendships were going to be incredibly important for sustaining my own well-being, friendships like you, and began to feel like I can start to change the way that I perceive myself because there are great things about me and and not had I not experienced this breakup that made me question a lot of these things I don't really know if I might be on this this type of journey that I am on now if that makes sense we make mistakes but we, we learn from them and they teach us something and they brought me closer to you Kia and I'm really grateful for that so thank you for sharing your own mental health journey as well and I think that exploring this is is really important but something I didn't think I would be doing this soon if that makes sense like yeah wow what you just said the question the reflective question why do we focus on people who don't love us rather than the people who do love us that's so profound because that's so true I think between the two of us I think we had really difficult relationships that had us in a sense reflect on our own self-worth and our self-worth was definitely deteriorated right so very similar to you when my ex cheated on me which was the previous relationship I felt the same way right like why why was I not enough why can't you know why couldn't this work out and I think both of us were in this process right of in a sense rebuilding our self-worth and who we are because a lot of times I think the reason why we focus on the people who don't love us is because love is like expected, right? Like in a sense, in relationship, we are both making this commitment and we are building this together, fostering this love, this growth. And so for the other person to not reciprocate it back or in a sense to in a sense be a hypocrite, right? Not actually keep up with the end of their bargain. I think that's really hurtful because as always in committed relationships, especially monogamous um, relationships, it's like one person, right? You can't put all your eggs, eggs in one basket. And so for the other person to not reciprocate that back, that's like a slap in the face. I agree. Major slap to the face. But yeah, it's like you would expect someone to reciprocate. And then when they don't, it really hurts. So that's a really good point. 
And I think that I'm able to really recognize and process a lot of this without needing to be in a relationship while simultaneously hurting someone else, if that makes sense. But I, I just really admire the way you went about processing your own relationship because you've recognized what boundaries you wanted but also like what you felt like you needed to do right love comes when you least expect it I think you're sort of a testament to that because I'm like hey you really did not expect it all I mean I know a few people that entered your life here and there but you were just so reassuring of yourself and I admired that a lot while still having to finish your master's degree you know and working a job and then your significant other came along and I was like, wow. So then maybe if I just don't expect it, if I focus on not expecting it, then maybe it'll it'll arrive. Just kidding. You're like, okay, I'm ready now. I'm not expecting it. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, all of this talk about like, oh yes, like I love being single. This is actually so that I can get into relationship. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> plot twist so now we're actually speaking into existence so i'm just kidding (laughs) no i think um i definitely agree but i think there's something that i actually wanted to go back to which is mental health um just because we're talking about our self-love and self-care so i know we talked a lot about our mental health journey post-grad but when do we actually begin exploring mental health in our own lives So Therese, did you want to get started? Yeah, that is a really good question. You know, my first introduction to this idea of mental health was first year of college. I was a part of a lot of spaces that talked about this model minority myth, right? And destigmatizing this myth that specifically Asian Americans are this model minority group that is a testament to if you work really hard, you'll be able to reach the American dream. But there are various factors that prevent certain groups from being able to do that, particularly Asian Americans. And so that model minority is truly a myth. There were a lot of events that went on that talked about destigmatizing that model minority myth, but also destigmatizing mental health and how that model minority myth can affect mental health of many Asian Americans. And that was a concept that I had no idea about. And when I started to learn about what it, what mental health really looked like or what that meant, I only thought that it was specifically with regards to like mental illness, but there was never a lot of conversation about it, Um, especially within, within my family. The first steps to exploring this idea of mental health, I think, really happened when I was starting to take on a lot of leadership roles. And I served as president of the Asian Pacific American Coalition starting my sophomore year up through my junior year. And not gonna lie, it was really tough. It took a toll on my mental health. And on top of trying to stay balanced with my academics and extracurriculars, knowing that there were a lot of feedback that I was getting from certain people who particularly weren't fond of some of the things that, or some of the people in in the space, which I totally understood. I just kept questioning a lot of what I was doing, my role, and whether or not I was good enough or whether or not I should continue to to serve this role as president. And I started to break down and I felt so alone. That was when I had to take a step back and think, okay, Therese, like, what is it that you need in this moment? How are you feeling? And those questions I had to think about for myself and In hindsight, I'm like, maybe that's when I started to really explore this concept of mental health for my own self. While I was always advocating for people to 
recognize what what are the things that are affecting them at this current state I never really did the same I never really sought therapy until later on in college but that, that's a good question I know I went off on a whole tangent but I would say I think it truly began in college when I first started to experience a lot of emotions that was really hard to unpack at least by myself I agree with you in regards to the model minority myth and believing that you know, we have to struggle and go through this success story by ourselves. And so I think my mental health journey began my junior year of college when I was reflecting on what I wanted out of my college experience. And I decided that I wanted to use more of the resources provided on campus, you know, uh, reap that money that <laughs> that obviously um, my tuition is going to- towards. So One of them was, of course, uh, Montessori counseling, which gives students like eight free sessions per year. It wasn't a lot, but I feel like I needed to unpack a lot of my my family trauma and grief and my community. Of course, family issues and grief are usually not talked about and rather supposed to be brushed under the rug, right? Because that's um, something that, that only happens at home, behind closed doors. However, I recognized that I was in a different community, right? I was no longer in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. I I wasn't in the Moan community anymore. I was building my own community here at Pitzer. And so like what you were reflecting on, what do I want right now? What do I need? And so I recognized that I needed, I needed to talk to someone and seek help professionally because I was afraid that if I didn't do it now, I'll never seek help and just become comfortable with it. Because in a sense, I've already gotten this far without this help. So it was okay if I didn't seek that help. So I think that's just one of the best decisions I've ever made, which is going to counseling and therapy and not really knowing what to expect. Yeah, I do think that when it comes to that decision to seek therapy, it does take a while. I feel like it it took me a while to accept that, okay, Therese, maybe you do, maybe you should just go to a therapy session, see how it's like. And I don't know, I, I think that mental health people don't often talk about, you know, there's always, it's like a taboo topic, especially among my family. But I've come to find that by being vulnerable and really talking in, in an honest way about how I'm feeling, how this person is making me feel, the difficult obstacles or experiences that I'm going through is like part of the resolution to overcoming a lot of those those difficult emotions. When I started to be very open to talking about my mental health, particularly within my friends and my mentors, it just lifted a huge weight off my shoulders. Because then they would also start sharing with me that their family wasn't perfect either. And then I thought, wait, so I'm not the only one. And something my therapist told me was, anytime you feel like you're alone and experiencing a thought, just know you are not. When it comes to just being open to talking about mental health, I know it's really difficult, but I've I've just realized that by trusting in certain people to willingly unpack things with me has helped me within this mental health journey. And it wasn't only until I learned about this like idea that, hey, um, we have to prioritize mental health apart from like physical well-being. I was like, wait, that is so important, but I wish I knew this earlier. Definitely. I think it's so important to begin destigmatizing it by talking about your therapy sessions or about counseling. Because when I began telling my family members about therapy, I was surprised that they were very receptive and accepting to it. And I even encouraged them to go. However, 
of course, mental health comes with a price, like literally. And so I feel so privileged to be able to be exposed to these eight free sessions, which allowed me to, in a sense, recognize that like, yes, it's helpful for me. I need this in my life. And to go back to it after post-grad when I really did need it again. But that being said, I think what I've learned and still learning about my journey with my mental health, it's that in a sense, I've been only seeking it when I needed it. It's like, oh, shoot, like something tragic has happened. Something that triggered me is traumatizing has happened. Now I need to, in a sense, seek therapy. However, I've been, in a sense, going to my sessions almost every week. And I recognize that it's not it's not that something tragic needs to happen. That's why I need to consult on a therapist. It's actually like everyday things. And I'm always triggered by something. And so I think it's just that this is a journey, it's a process, and it's not always going to be smooth sailing all the time. Some days it's going to be two steps back and one step forward. And I need to give myself grace and patience and also to give myself time and to really invest, right, in my own mental health. Because of course, once again, I'm very privileged to be having a lot of great benefits as well. So my copay is not as expensive as other people. However, it's still, you know, it it does take a toll when I'm using it once a week. So um, sometimes I'm like, oh, well, like, I don't need it this week, or I don't need it, you know, anymore. However, I need to remember that it's not when I need it. It's like, that this is a process. And that this is just someone that in a sense is helping me through this process. Yeah, no, those are super good points, Kia. And I wanted to touch upon that idea of like, going to therapy on a consistent basis as opposed to only going to it when you need it so I'm honestly in the stage of going when I need it or like the consistency is once a month but I feel like a big part of it has to do with the specific therapist that I do have and I'm trying to understand like what are what's the what are some values or like traits that I really look for in a therapist that I can trust to go to every week I I do feel that this journey is not like a one-stop journey it's like it'll end once you've achieved this like full mental health awareness I can fully love myself and be less hard on myself and continue to be consistent in treating myself all the time with patience love and and forgiveness and I've been going back into the cycle of being very critical of myself again being very harsh which is a huge thing that basically led me to go back into exploring mental health post-grad so it's interesting thinking about how mental health in college looks very different for me then now that I've graduated, now that I'm working, and now that I'm like trying to figure out what it is that I really want in life, the questions I ask myself are very different now. And I'm so glad that I was able to go back on this journey early of last year. But I wanted to share a few things that really helped me just sort of feel like I can completely nourish myself again and figure out ways to unpack certain emotions. So there were a lot many times where I would feel a lot of anxiety in general because of the pandemic. And I've I was talking about this with a friend. I call her Ate Rachel, and she provided this really great step-by-step process of how to navigate these emotions. I actually have the list right here. Essentially, there's like three major steps to managing an emotion, and the first is to observe it. Acknowledge the thought or the feeling. Name it. You know, whether that be anxiety, insecurity, overwhelm, to ask about what it's doing there and to reflect on the purpose of like, why am I feeling anxious? right now? Why do I feel so insecure about myself in this moment? 
And so just acknowledge it, right? Don't don't try to completely avoid it and forget it because it'll always return. You know, it's, it's there for a reason. There's a purpose to why we're feeling this way. And then after the, observing it, accept it. Feel the feels, which is the most difficult part, I would say. Like actually feeling the emotion and sitting with it for a while, however long it may take. And to just think of the thoughts, feel the feels. Like when I think back to anxiety, I had to really accept that this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm anxious because I don't know what's going to happen to my family. I'm so far away from them. And just to sit with them. The next step is to thank it. So thank the lesson that this emotion has brought you. And when I thought about my anxiety, I was thinking... You know, I I appreciate what this is teaching me because this is letting me know that I prioritize and value my family so much that I want to continue to find ways to engage with them constantly. You know, I'm thinking about how am I going to fulfill this lesson that my anxiety is teaching me? And then the last step is to just let it go. And that's like the four step process to observing, accepting, thinking, and letting go of an emotion or a thought. This is my uh, my free therapy session. Actually, I would have to really credit my my friend at the Rachel for sharing this with me, but I've come to realize that this has been super helpful in trying to unpack and process a lot of things that I normally don't do when I have like therapy sessions. So I know that was really long, Kia. No, that was awesome and really beautiful, to be honest. I really appreciate that you just shared the four-step process that you utilized. And thank you to Ate Rachel, correct? Okay. Yeah, um, because I would definitely be taking note and utilizing them too, because my anxiety is definitely not through the roof now that I'm a teacher. And so I think something that I recognize and I'm now utilizing as well and trying to remember to utilize is just really quick self-esteem mantras that like I have to like restate to myself all the time like for example I am a good teacher I am doing enough and I think that's just a self uh, reminder to myself right because I think at the end of the day you yourself is you know your biggest critique you know and it really sucks especially when you've kind of like internalized these anxiety and these insecurities and so I think sometimes it's like you just have to tell yourself that you are good enough and that it is okay that you know even if you've made a mistake don't hone in on it right like what you said just let it go it's not that serious it's not that deep and so just remind you yourself that you are valuable and that you love yourself and that it's going to be okay so I really appreciate your four-step process because obviously when I'm in the moment I'm (laughs) It's going to be a little bit difficult to remember them all. However, I think that's a really great process to, you know, really reflect, think about your anxiety and to, you know, really let them go. So thank you. When you were saying that you have these self-esteem mantras, I love that because I, I do feel that having affirmations to say to yourself is so important because anyone could give you these words of affirmations and validations. They could say, like, I could be your hype. I mean, I'm always your hype person, Kia, you know that. But I could always be like, Kia, you're amazing. You are an incredible teacher. You've got it. You're so badass, like all of these things. But at the end of the day, right, what matters the most is your own voice and your own opinion. And I I do strongly believe that being able to say these things aloud to ourselves, or whether that's through writing, is essential to, I think, 
building our our esteem back up or building the sense of self-worth and self-confidence. I just wanted to share quickly this interview that I was listening to with Sean Mendez, who is an artist that I have really loved ever since college. He was in an interview and he was talking about how even though he's in a relationship with Camila Cabello, he still feels like it's so incredibly important to continue to focus on himself. And the same for Camila as well. I, I feel like I know them because we're, we're on a first name basis. Um, but he, he says that no matter who's right next to you, the person that is there when you close your eyes is yourself, right? You have, you live with yourself every day. And so you have to love yourself because you're going to live with yourself for the rest of your life. So why not nurture and care for and make that person happy that is yourself? And you talked about this, you know, it's okay to do a two step back, one step forward. That honestly has helped me so much, Kia. Like, you know, I shared this experience with you about how I was experiencing issues with boundaries with certain people regarding my time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do better. And the next thing you know, I scheduled an appointment with someone that ended up taking more of my time even though I didn't necessarily want to and you said that it's okay Therese like sometimes in order to go forward we have to take a couple steps back and I didn't really understand that in the first place until recently I started to be very self-critical particularly with work again and I was like oh no Therese like you talk so much about self-love and self-care you you try to share so much of this words of wisdom to people and saying that it's important to be on this journey but why am I not learning to love myself again like why why am I continuing to be so harsh and to have all this negative self-talk when I thought I was doing so well for like the first three months of doing self-care journaling listening to BTS and their their music which has been super therapeutic and healing for me and then now I'm going back to these negative self-talk but then I remember it's okay to take two steps back because sometimes you need to take a step back to recognize this is what I'm feeling this is what it's teaching me it's okay Therese this is a process right like you said it's a whole journey it's not like a this is your, you're gonna solve it or cure it um at the end of the day it's it's a whole lifestyle I don't know does that make sense yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I think it's really awesome that we talked about, you know, mental health and our inner thoughts and especially loving ourselves, you know, and going through this process and this journey. But I think I'm really interested now about the other aspects of ourselves, such as beauty standards. So what were some of the beauty standards that affected us? And what are some tips to having more confidence in ourselves? Some of the first few beauty standards that really affected me um, when I first moved to California and because of all the culture shock with like not really being around people who sort of look like me, who shared similar values or cultural values, there was a lot of body image um, that I think I was struggling with in the sense of like my skin wasn't as as fair as like other people. And I, I do think that like some of the self-image issues that I had mainly had to do with what people were commenting about me um and some of the people that I met like in college in that specific like aspect until people started like telling me and pointing it out and then I once I started pointing it out I was like oh no like we don't share the same like race or ethnicity and so um I do think that white beauty standards was a huge component that affected me throughout my whole life that wasn't just Pitzer where my parents and this is just a a toxic trait um, I feel like within the Asian American community of always wanting to appeal to whiteness and like using whitening soap 
was like a thing that was encouraged and not staying in the sun for too long. My family members pointing out me being tan. I remember my aunt had told me, she was like, oh, you know, you're like one of the tanner cousins, but it's okay. You know, I don't like, wait, you know, it was just, it was hard to wrap myself around, but I would say that some of the tips that helped me overcome these types of standards was having an open conversation with people about it, just sharing what I was feeling and then knowing from other people that, well, one, like it's okay to look different. It's okay to feel different. And those differences make up who we are. But just because society or sadly even family members try to portray certain images of what we should be like or look like, that 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 shouldn't matter. Did that answer your question, Kia? Oh, it definitely did. I think with your response, I really like the way that you went to the root of it, right? So your family, your friends, and just manifesting it through college because it continued. And so I, I agree with you. I think the beauty standards and also my insecurities also came with my family, right? So amongst my sisters, I've always struggled with body image as well, since I've always been like the bigger one. I've always been the bigger sister. So I have sisters, I have seven sisters. So there's always a lot of people to compare myself to. And in college, it just got worse. It definitely manifested when I continued to be the bigger one amongst the groups that I, in a sense, continue to associate with. So amongst my friends, I was a bigger one. And I think going to England as well, right? When you talk about the white beauty standards, when I went to England, there weren't a lot of Asian people. And if there were, they were, you know, really skinny, they were tall, and they were rich, of course. And so I think with me, that made it a little bit difficult because it was like, oh, like, I don't fit in with the beauty standards that transfer students or not not transfer but study abroad students are supposed to look like right you know what I mean like I'm not rich I'm not skinny I'm not you know super pale and and I don't have all the all these type of like clothing or like fashion statements that in a sense a lot of these students have who are obviously coming from different places that have more money so I think that just definitely manifested amongst myself of like oh yeah like I need to like do better I need to work out I need to do this this and that and so I think now that I'm able to look back at it and reflect on it I think I was able to well you know of course I'm still in the process of loving myself and being confident in myself however I think something I've come to accept is what am I prioritizing in my life right? Am I prioritizing my looks, my, you know, my beauty standards? Am I prioritizing my job, school? And I recognize that I don't, I've never in a sense growing up really prioritized my looks, or I think I really did in college, right? However, now it's like, no, because when I wake up in the morning, what do I think about? Do I think about, oh yeah, I need to like do my hair and put on makeup? Or do I think about work and my career and my school and my students? So I'm starting to kind of, in a sense, unpack what my priorities are. And in a sense, if what, and if I'm happy or satisfied with that, right? Because of course, the way that I look at myself, it's kind of like second, you know what I mean? Kind of like every day I don't put on makeup, I don't do my hair, like it's just whatever to me. So therefore it's like, why am I insecure about something that I actually don't put any value in? So, <laughs> so I think that's just something that I've been in since able to reflect on, especially now that we're in a pandemic where, where we're seeing less people, right, and interacting with less people and having a mask on our face, like, mostly all the time when we're out. So, yeah. I had to write down that really resonating question of why do I put value in things that I don't really care about or prioritize? And that is so true. And I think it also begs the question of, like, 
who am I doing this for, right? Like if I wanted to put makeup on, if I wanted to do my hair, am I doing it for other people to get their attention, to get their validation? Or is it because I personally enjoy putting on makeup and it's fun, you know? And I think that understanding also like who are we prioritizing in our own life as someone who is a people pleaser I tend to gravitate towards like oh you know I want to please this person and I want them to think that I look good but at the end of the day it's like if we're constantly doing things for other people to live up to their own standards, then we'll never be happy and we'll never live up to our own standards because we constantly place priority on them is something that I've been trying to continue to improve on and and work through but yeah I I do feel that when it comes to recognizing like you know if I don't want to put on makeup that's fine you know especially now in this pandemic and in this current virtual environment where we don't necessarily need to dress up all the time and have to constantly look sharp yeah I I just think back to this time when I worked at a hotel um and we were required to wear makeup we had to look quote-unquote graceful and we had this workshop that was facilitated by this manager that basically had us critique each other from head to toe and was like critique this person from what they're wearing from their shoes all the way to their makeup and to their hair and this person knew that I wasn't wearing foundation and they were like you need to wear it like you need to look good for this job you know and but that that's a whole other topic of conversation I do want to maybe end on one question that we can both answer and I know we talked about like being alone and not interacting with people but a question I wanted to ask you Kia was what has been one of the lessons that you've learned through either being single or going on this mental health journey I know you shared a lot which is great but maybe something now that you feel like you're working towards I can also go first if that that might help So I think that one of the things I'm trying to work on that has been really difficult for me throughout this mental health journey, learning how to prioritize not feeling guilty for doing something for myself. And my Enneagram type is type two, which is the helper. And the whole essence of type twos are that they live in the service of other people. And I completely, I've adopted that mentality for so long in my life. And that is the big why I'm also a really people pleaser. But I'm trying to learn to be okay with taking a break and not feeling guilty for stepping away from work for like 10 minutes to just drink tea and to walk around and to just take, to step outside for like fresh air. And I think that it's hard for me to overcome that feeling of guilt because I always feel like I'm never good enough to take that break, if that makes sense. Like I'm always constantly placing these high standards on myself that I need to start letting go of. And I would say that's like the root of this feeling of trying to rid this overwhelming guilt that I feel for prioritizing my own time and my own health but what about you Kia? I think that's a really great reflection of you not trying to feel guilty for in a sense you doing things for yourself because once again right how are you supposed to fill someone else's cup when you can't fill your own and so something that I am learning through this journey is that once again this is a process and this process is for me not anyone else sometimes my anxiety gets the best of me because I ask why am I not there yet why am I not patient kind caring more graceful 
to myself to the extent that I want and begin comparing myself to, for example, my friends, family, or even my partner, like, oh, like, why are they patient? Why are they kind? How do you get there? And what about me? You know, and so I think sometimes that takes back my process, because I'm always comparing myself when at the end of the day, my therapist always says, you know, it's always about the same thing. Let's go back to the root of it. And the root of it is, you know, self-love my self-value because I'm always just trying to seek like oh like what what is someone else doing and how come they're there and, and I'm not and so I think it's just like okay but this is me you know this is my journey like this is my trauma this is my grief uh, these are my own insecurities they're very different people so that's why they're in their own process they're you know at a different step and so I think just once again reminding myself that it's okay you know I'm here for a reason and to just love myself through every step of the way so yeah that being said this month make sure that you're not just pouring your love to your family friends and significant other but yourself as well thank you for listening to this episode tune in every other friday to laugh cry and listen to our life in the making